If I were the devil, first thing that I'd do is I'd come off like I ever gave a damn about you. I'd let you catch a peek of all your greatest desires. Then I'd watch the flames in your eyes burn like hellfire. Find all the wolves in the land, and I'd make them fight each other tooth and nail and hand to hand. Find all the sheep, make them stir up the pot. Cause once the wolves have killed each other, sheep are what I want. The devil walks among us, friends, I know this is true. And I don't know if he's red. And I don't know if he's blue. One thing that I know, need to take a look around. If I were the devil, this world wouldn't be my playground. As I place that thorny crown on my furrowed brow, well I'd shine in all the tears of joy yelling from the crowd. I want to brainwash the parents and I have the world. I'll be in every schoolhouse lecturing little boys and girls. The devil walks among us, friends. I know this is true, and I don't know if it's me. And I don't know if it's you. One thing that I know, need to take a look around. If I were the devil, this world wouldn't be my playground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My final act. Tell you what it'd be I have everyone so medicated They could never see My gloving hooves on a horned head Would be hard to sky And the best part of it all Is they can climb with their demise The devil walks among us friends I know this is true And I don't know if it's me And I don't know if it's you One thing that I know, need to take a look around If I were the devil, this world wouldn't be my playground If I were the devil, this world was mine to see Well, I'd witness all the atrocities and it'd probably frighten me. So I'd run back home with a story to tell. I'd tell all my demon friends that I always preferred hell.
What's going on, you guys? You just heard If I Were the Devil by Colby Acuff, released back in February along with his album titled If I Were the Devil. Today, we had a great chat. This is one of my favorite to date, and I hope you enjoy it. The Country Underdog Podcast. So, um... Let's see. Tell me a little bit about you and uh, where you're from, man. Yeah, so my name is Colby Acuff. Uh, I'm from uh, Idaho, uh, northern Idaho to be specific. Um, I started playing music when I was about five years old. I played my first bar when I was 11, and uh, I've been gigging live now for, what's that, uh, 12 or 13 years. And, yeah, I just released my first album a little over a year ago, and I released my second album about two months ago. Yeah, if I were the devil, that's really the first album that I um, started listening to you on. Um, I, d- I haven't really listened to very much of Life of a Rolling Stone, um, but I hope to get into it. Uh, yeah, here shortly. I mean, w- I have to listen to so much music; it is insane. I mean, I listen. Well, to dude, I mean, <laughs> I understand. I mean, for me, it's like. Um, you know, most people haven't heard of us until If I Were the Devil came out. So that's like a lot of people's, you know, first interaction with us, which is, you know, great. I mean, I'm super about it. The The first album is a little bit more broken down. You know, it doesn't have as many elements. So it's a little bit more um, singer-songwriter-ish, you know. And then the second album, we added drums and a bunch of other things just to make it a little bit more mature. Okay. Well, I mean, a lot of people like those more acoustic sounding albums and it's cool to kind of get to do different stuff as your career goes on i mean take a look at like sturgill simpson you go you you go back and listen to his music in 2013 um compared to what he just put out the past two years and even his music the past two years sounds completely different yeah so sturgill is kind of my uh he's my favorite all time basically, you know, I, everything that he does, I really respect how he handles his business. And so when it comes down to it, you know, I don't record songs, um, necessarily for the radio or for like, you know, anything other than me and fans. Like, I just want to put out stuff that is mine. I want to put out stuff that has extremely raw and true and like very honest songs. Um, and now I think that does get conveyed to people. And I think that's why, you know, so like right now, my next project, um, this will actually be one of the first podcasts I think I've talked about it on, but I will be, uh, I'm working on a honky tonk album right now. <laughs> and, uh, once I get that going, um, I'm probably going to release something else that's a little bit more acoustic. So I have two projects in the works right now. Okay. That, that's pretty sweet. A little honky tonk album. So, yeah. um, so, so you, you said you're from where again? I'm from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is the, the, the town that I'm from. So I'm like two hours South of the Canadian border. Woo. So, yeah. Like I, I thought you, I thought for a moment that you were Canadian. Um, I mean, you're kind of up there, similar right. sounding music to Coulter Wall in a way. I don't know. Yeah. That, that, that same kind of look. Um, I don't know why I thought, I thought that, but 
I'm pretty um, close. <laughs> you're pretty close. <laughs> but no, still still in the States, you know. Um, so, I mean, one of the things I try to do with Country Underdog is that Texas, Nashville gets so much of the attention. And even though I'm in Texas, I try to kind of just cover everybody. I mean, the Carolinas, Appalachian, like, like all, all, all that stuff um, that don't really have that hub to kind of push them out there. Um, right. and, there, there and there's so many other pages out there that are promoting um, mainstream country, Texas, and just th- there's Texas music pickers. They only do like Texas and Oklahoma and they release their chart and all that stuff. But I try and be as unbiased as possible. And so that way I get to really enjoy and talk about the music that I like to listen to um, and real artists, like, like real artists just from across the country, real right. underdogs in a way. And um, <laughs> we're, we're all underdogs. Everyone's been underdogs before. Right. Um, but I, I just, I, I think that it embodies um, just kind of country music in general that everyone kind of starts out at the bottom and writing songs from the heart and being authentic is what it's all about. Oh, I agree, man, completely. And I think, you know, that being said too, about like the hubs and stuff, it, we, I'm extremely fortunate and extremely grateful that we've done what we've done so far just out of Idaho. You know what I mean? Like um, this last album has caught a decent amount of traction and I'm super excited, but I, I actually, uh, I will be coming to Texas in June. Really? When yeah. is that? So June, where are you going to be at? So as of right now, we're still working on dates. So I don't really want to say anything as far as, uh, <laughs> you know, shows and whatnot, but I will be in Texas June 2nd through like the 22nd. So I'll All be, right. I'll be throughout the whole state pretty much just anywhere and everywhere. Okay. Well, I'm in East Texas and that's where our office is. So you got to come by and uh, hang out a little bit. We got couches. I, I got the in-person podcast set up as well that we can do. Um, we can, we can, we can do this again. Round two. <laughs> I would love to, I'd be super down. I'll come see you. Uh, I, I got, I'll hit you up on Instagram and we can figure out the details because I'll have some downtime as well. And we'll just be looking to travel. So that'd be perfect. Yeah, for sure. One thing that, that I'm trying to do it within the next two or three years is open up some kind of big, big studio out here with, with a, a stage where artists can come by whenever they're in between tour dates and all that stuff, perform for small live studio audience or just for uh, YouTube. And we can do, create some cool videos. We can sit down, podcast, drink, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like this, man. Let's do this in June. I'm down. For sure. For sure. We will. Um, so let's see. What, what can you tell me? Tell me a little bit more about um, Life of a Rolling Stone. Uh, okay. Yeah. So let's just get right into her. So we were playing, um, just in Idaho, just me and my bass player. And we've been playing for about a year and some change, maybe two years at this point. And, uh, we were doing real well, you know, we were playing a ton and, but my, my bass player was like, man, I just really want to go on a tour. I think that'd be so much fun. I said, you know what? That sounds like a great time. This is October of 2019. So I said, well, I'm not going to go on tour unless we have an album. 
So, you know, we decided to uh, cut an album and within two months we released Life of Rolling Stone and we had a full tour plan. But, you know, then COVID happened and uh, canceled everything. So that kind of put a damper on our first album. But that gave me a ton of time to get ready for the second one. We doubled staff, you know, we, we doubled down basically on the business and uh, cut If I Were the Devil and dropped it in February. So, so you've done, you've done pretty well on TikTok. Um, did you do very much promoting of Life of Rolling Stone on TikTok or was that a little bit before uh, TikTok, TikTok was, kind of took off? Yeah, TikTok was barely, if it was around, I didn't know about it. Like, I had no idea that it was there in 2019. <laughs> All good. I, uh, I had no idea it was there in 2019, basically. So I didn't promote it. I just promoted it on Instagram pretty much and Facebook. But TikTok changed my second album for sure. TikTok might have, you know, I could maybe give a ton of credit to TikTok for starting this career really within under under 24 months you know for sure and so there's this weird thing going going around that i mean there's there's country artists who have adapted to tiktok and then there's tiktok country artists that have never performed a show stuff like that that they just start singing on tiktok and they start building a following and that allows them to release music and all that stuff. And that has a weird like stigma behind it. But I think that you, you are already somewhat like established that like whenever I like, like I've, I, I came across you on TikTok and stuff like that. Um, but I don't consider you like a TikTok country artist. I consider right. you an artist. And I, I think a lot has to, to do with the look behind it. I mean, you got the, this 615 house or whatever that's in Nashville. Yeah. Um, where they're just churning out content after content, lip singing over their own songs and all that stuff. Thin I think the algorithm. biggest, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, for me, I will never ever throw judgment to anyone on how they make it ever. Right. It's just, once you make it, what are you going to do? Cause mm-hmm. that's when it starts. You know what I mean? that's like when everyone's looking at you and that is when you become more of um, an icon versus you're, you're just more than an artist. Right. And I think you should always hold yourself obviously like to a standard, but once you got, you know, millions of people looking at you, that's when it's like, okay, now it's time to not be an ass. And you know, like to me, that's at least my thing. However you make it though, overnight or over 10 years or however it is, don't bother me. Like, that's right. And, and I, I agree with that. Um, but I think part of it is the, the part that I have a problem with is you gain this following overnight and then you feel obligated to, to continue feeding them what, what they want to right. hear instead of being like authentic to yourself and stuff like that. I don't know. There, there's a agree. fine line that you have to walk. Yeah, no, I agree. I actually just did an interview with uh, Americana Highway and they asked me about uh, Dear Country Music, which is on If I Were the Devil. I don't know if you've heard that song yet or not, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that song seems to be pushing some buttons with some people and I never intended it to be that way. That song is strictly about the industry and it has nothing to do with artists. Right. Because 
to me, like music is a create, I mean, obviously it's a creative field. Like um, it's institutionalized to a point now where people who have the ability to turn emotion into a story, into a song can get maybe a little bit um, like if you're a great songwriter, but you're just being used to write what the people in the suits want to hear like you do that as a career, how are you going to feel like you've really accomplished a bunch when you are such a better, like you're performing under value. Right. You know? And so for me, that's, that's what that song's about. That song is just about the institutionalization of the music industry. It has nothing to do with artists, you know, for me. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think it is definitely the music industry the, the people in the suits should take more of the blame because these artists, I mean, they just have a dream and they're, they're just trying to make it, but sometimes they get taken advantage of and they might not even know it. Um, oh yeah. But in it, you know, the other problem is, is with it is it's a real fine line when you're in this industry and you're a musician and you're doing that stuff. Like it is a fine line between being broke and being a millionaire. <laughs> you know what I mean? And oh, yeah when the guys in the suits give you that deal, it's pretty hard to turn it down, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I have a thing that I say on almost every podcast. I don't know how it comes up, but um, if I was in the money business, I wouldn't be in the music business. Right. At least th- this, this music business, because when it comes to music, like actual music, there's not a ton of money behind it. When it comes to, when it comes to all these, uh, record labels uh put putting out all all this fabricated crap sometimes yeah. they they do put out good good stuff and and I do listen to to some of it uh some some of the mainstream stuff but um when it, when it comes to real authentic music stuff that I consider like great um there's there's just not a ton of money behind it and part of it is um, Spotify streams and Apple, they, they don't pay, pay crap. I mean, yeah. what, what's it, what's it 0.0048 cents or something like that on Spotify? Yeah. It just keeps going down. When yeah. I started, it was uh seven point zero zero seven. Now it's like, yeah, somewhere around five, five or six. You, you take that and split it up between the writers and, and whatnot. And it's just like minuscule. So that's why like buying merch is so important and, Agreed. and all that and, and, and live shows which were taken away. Um, yeah. That, and that was the only thing, you know, to me, of course, well, if you want to find as an artist too, it's like every day you wake up and you're like, okay, how are we going to do it today? You know, every day is just another puzzle on how you're going to figure this out. But for me, I look at everything. I had to start looking at everything positively because I just felt like it was getting to be a lot to bear when I, couldn't figure out how to make things work because I was being negative and stuff. So I started looking at it this way. As soon as I changed my attitude, that's also when I saw things start changing for us as well. You know, it's like Spotify. Everyone has this huge gripe with Spotify and Apple music and how they pay nothing. And I get that. It, I agree. Like for what it is, it's not great. But that being said, Spotify specifically distributes your music and if it wasn't for spotify a guy like me would be nowhere i would be i would be absolutely nowhere 
they push my music for me if it does well. So like it gives me incentive to push the songs and then they distribute my music as well. So like it gives you an opportunity as an unsigned artist to be authentic and not have to have a record label and still build a fan base. Right. Right. Which, I mean, I, I love that perspective. I mean, so much, so much of the music industry, there's so much like pros and cons and it's just like, it is what it is. And the is what it is, is that you just have to work hard and right. put out, put, put, put out, real music because at the end of the day people gravitate to to realness people can can sense what is real um whether someone's singing about uh, a real life event if someone's just putting out songs about trucks and beer and and all (laughs) that um people are kind of over that People gravitate towards <laughs> sometimes the sad stuff, the, the real stories, the breakups, and all that stuff. The stuff that that they can connect to. Um, right. So that that with all the pros and cons in the music business, people just want to connect with music. And if a re- record label can put out stuff that people can connect to, good for them. If independent artists can put out stuff that people can connect to awesome if independent artists are just putting out crap trying to fit in and stuff that isn't really true to them fans are going to know or like people listeners are going to know um yeah and vice versa so it's uh the old i mean have you ever seen uh, like butch cassidy and sundance kid i have not it's an older film but there's a scene where uh i think it's i think it is butch cassidy he says uh He's like, man, I got a vision and everyone else is wearing bifocals. You know, and it's just the classic, like, or he says, it's something along the lines of that. Like, basically, he's got a vision and he's the only one that can see it. Right. And so when I started in this business, it, it was so daunting. I was just a boy from Idaho trying to go on a tour which then turned into our first album had enough recognition to where it was like, okay, now we have a fan base. Now, now we're doing it. And here we go. And it was great. Like I'm super grateful for that. You know, I, that's why we're here. But that being said, the business got actually less daunting as we went, because I realized that yes, the market is very saturated. There's a ton of people that can write songs out there, but I don't think there's that many people out there that can write a song that they believe in. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you, you have a, you have a really good head on your shoulder when it comes to all this. Like, <laughs> like how old are you? I'm 24. Okay. I'm, I'm 23. And um, you don't come across, I mean, the last podcast that I did was with Bailey Ray. I mean, she's, she was 17 when she went on the voice and I, I knew about her before she went on The Voice, and yeah, she took that route. Um, a lot a lot of people talk crap about the uh, singing shows and all that stuff, but people take the avenues that are given to them, whatever doors right. are open. Um, you can choose to not take certain doors and, and say F you. Um, kind of like uh, some people have in the past in, in the Texas scene when it comes to Na- Nashville and um, – 
but like, like like Aaron Watson, Aaron Watson is a massive inspiration behind country underdog and um, getting me into all this music. I mean, he had the number one uh, independent album or the first number one independent album ever to go number one on iTunes and billboard called the underdog. Right. Um, and, and he's got, dude, I, I love his stuff too, by the way, I was just going to say, like, yeah. yeah, I'm there with you. Like ju- just his story about how the record labels told him, no, they basically closed that door on him. So he had, he had to take a different route. And when that door opened back up, he, um, whenever they realized how, how good he was and that he had a fan base, he was like, F you. Um, yeah. Then he wrote fence so, post. Right. <laughs> fence post. And there you go. Yeah. Boy. Um, but like, not th- not everyone has that experience or they might like i think bailey um she tried out for american idol and they they said no um so she that door kind of closed but um the voice opened its, its its doors and she took it and ran with it i had i had heard of her before um just a little oklahoma girl um right. seven, 17 just putting out music all that stuff and it's really cool to um, see people take advantage of the opportunities that they're given and have a good head on their shoulders while they do it. I mean, like well, I said, she was people, 17. Well, yeah, I was just saying, like, most people don't see opportunity when it knocks. Mm-hmm. And your ego and your pride will kill you in this business way faster than what you think a fan might think because you did something. That is a total just a crock like it just does not exist and the people that think like that are typically the people that usually get stuck in a rut so like if opportunity knocks you got to take that because you're not going to be given a whole lot in this business and you don't you know like it's just the way it is but that being said like when we when i went going back when i said okay let's let's put this album together this is we're going to do life of rolling stone i was a fly fishing guide uh, on the Coeur River and my buddy was having a bachelor party up on the river. So I had just gotten off. I didn't know if I was going to make it cause I was on these guide trips. And anyway, I ended up saying, you know, it's great. I'll go to this bachelor party. It'll be fun. So I show up there and I just look like hell cause I've been guiding on a river for three days, but it was fun. And I was kind of talking like, yeah, I think I'm going to go into the music business and start to do an album. And the guy who, uh, my buddy who was getting married for the bachelor party, he's like, Oh, well, my buddy's coming up from uh, Boise and he just, he's a producer. Go, oh, no shit. So, you know, we sit down and start talking with him and uh, I'll never forget. We're sitting by the fire. I'm definitely pretty loaded at this point. And uh, <laughs> I'm talking to this producer and I'm, I'm telling this producer like what I want to do. You know, I'm like, I, I think that there's a, a serious opening that's going to happen in the next two to five years um because of Sergio Simpson and Tyler Childers and Coulter Wall they're like opening this door for for what I want to do like the music that I want to play and the songs that I write and I didn't know if there was ever going to be that opening and here it is and I'm like you know blah 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 I said well do you do you plan on getting a record deal I said I plan on doing whatever it takes to get us to where I want to go and keep my like the authentic part of it and if that means I have to do it without a record label I will, if we get a shot and it's the right deal, you know, whatever. And he said, well, you know, Tyler Childers is one in a million. And I said, well, it's about to be two in one million. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, I mean, you can't say that you just can't go into it thinking that you lost. 
I mean, when's the last time anyone ever won any sporting event or anything just saying, well, we're going to lose. Right. Right. Like you just have to have, and I like, we, de- we definitely haven't even won yet. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like just, we've had some minor success and it's put us here, which just gives us another opportunity to go to the next place. You, you just have to be happy with, with who you are and what you're doing while also staying hungry for more and right. keeping your eyes open for opportunity that comes your way. And um, did, did you play many sports growing up? I did, but I, I stopped in high school pretty much because I, one, I mean, I just wasn't that athletic. That was the whole thing. I could throw baseball pretty hard, but then I tore my shoulder. So then it was pretty much over. And uh, I was always pretty good at music. And that's when I started playing full time. And I started just digging into the money side of it and start, you know, making it a business. So I started that when I played my first gig when I was 11 or 12. And then I really started playing hard when I was 13, 14. Yeah, but you at least had somewhat of a sports background. And I think being part of a team and the, the things that sports teach you is invaluable to like it, it's super valuable for the rest of your life. I mean, oh, I played I agree. seven, I played 17 years of baseball, two years in college. And then I ran track and t- for two years in college. And Damn. both of those experiences taught me so much. And I knew, I, I knew I wasn't going to make it to the MLB. I knew I wasn't going to go to the Olympics for track and all that stuff, but it's just all, it's about t- taking uh, the lessons from what you're doing and applying them to other things in life. And so that's right. what I've tried to do with business. I mean, I grew up loving music, never having the time to play music because of sports. Um, so I really just fell into like, hey, business is what I want to do. Business is what I can do. And that's allowed me to do what I'm doing now. With you, um, your experiences, kind of, some doors closed and it opened other ones the sports doors closed earlier and opened up the opportunity for you to spend that time on music and all that stuff. Yeah. So, one of the hardest decisions that I made, well, I, I was very business oriented, like extremely, I, I got my real estate license at 19 and started selling real estate in my hometown while I was going to college and I was going to be a stockbroker. Okay. It was very different. And I got out of college and I was still selling real estate. I sat down at a real estate desk and I was like, I don't know about this, you know? And then I, but I said, well, maybe, you know, and in fact, actually I still have a real estate license. I still do sell real estate, but the, the, I, anyway, I, I was like, ah, maybe, ah, maybe I want to do something else. So I went and interviewed uh, to be a stockbroker and I was going to start as an assistant and you know, whatever. And uh, then I got a job offer to be a fly fishing guide, which I'd always wanted to do. So I had to call Merrill Lynch <laughs> say, hey, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to go be a fly fishing guide. Six months later, you know, we released Life of Rolling Stone, and I still, I still technically am a fly fishing guide. I play music, and I still sell real estate. Hey, it's all about doing whatever you can, that, like whatever makes you happy while making enough money to allow you to do what you're passionate about. I'm mostly just in the transition phase in chapters. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. in the, in the inner, like the end of chapter, whatever, trying to get to the next chapter. And, <laughs> um, 
but it's been fun, man. I, I absolutely love it. I've loved it. I don't really, I don't have any regrets either, you know, going through anything. I think for the most part, at least I hope, you know, that we've been making the right choices. Oh yeah, dude. And, and even if you don't, um, even, even if like failing is important. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like people who have massive success from the get go, um, it, it, it's kind of hard for them. I mean, you, we've, you see some, um, some guys in Nashville who like, they just start releasing music and they, they blow up and they just kind of go through some stuff. But, um, failing is definitely important and not having any regrets because if, if you're regretful, it makes you spiteful and just an unhappy person. And it kind of holds you back from the future. So, I mean, I, I, I graduated college during, during COVID and uh, it, it cut my athletic career uh, short. Um, of course, COVID came out of nowhere and changed right. a lot of our, per, our perspectives and uh, what we were, we were doing in our lives. And it, it was a hard time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody had just a smidge of depression uh, through it all. Um, but 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 through the hard times comes uh comes the greatest i don't i don't i don't even know uh you got to be able to i don't think you can so like i think the biggest thing to be an underdog you know like if you're going to be an underdog you got to only have one thing over everyone else and that is mm-hmm. more ambition yep you know it's like Ambition is something that can get you basically not anything, but it can get you, it can make doors open faster than anything else can. Oh yeah. You know, and I, so, but I do think true ambition comes also from being in a place where it's like, ah, I don't know if it, I'm going to get out of this. <laughs> Your back's against the wall. Yeah. That's cause you can only go up. Yep. So, and I, I mean, think that's really like a ton of, what's been happening here i saw this diagram um i forget what his name is he's a tiktoker motivational speaker all this stuff and he drew a diagram of people's businesses or just whatever in life and it was a u it was it had a u shape to it and so basically he said you start off up here with a new idea new ambition all this stuff you you get going you're grinding like it's not necessarily taken off yet you, you might hit rock bottom. There's like this breaking point um, and you're either going to quit and, and start something new or you figure out how to get through it. And the people who figure out how to get through that, that rock bottom, that breaking point are the ones who make it big and the ones who right. make a bunch of money and all that stuff. So, I mean, you can have all kinds of ideas and you can be stuck in, in this rut. It's a rut essentially. And right you can keep going back around like you hit the road and you're like, well, that didn't work. Let, let's do something new or you can push through it. And so right. I think, I think when it comes to, to the music business, it, if you don't see your music taken off, you put so much hard work and money into this thing that doesn't make a lot of money. Um, and so if you don't see your, your, your streams or your sales uh, going anywhere after you just put all your heart and soul to an album, I'm sure it can be super, super uh i guess depressing in a way or, or yeah i mean dejected 
it makes you just want to do it again though yeah that, that, that's good i mean our, keep going the good news is like our first album did better than i thought but once it did better than i thought i saw what we could do i was like okay well then you know the goal now there is i got into this business the reason why i love this business you're right i mean it ain't for the money that's for sure but it, what it is for what i absolutely love about it is that there is no ceiling and there's no ceiling on multiple levels like there's no ceiling really on income there's no ceiling on gratification there's no ceiling on how many songs i can write or when i want to release them or how many albums i can do or how many fans i can have like the goal is limitless oh yeah and and that's what i admire so much about the industry and and all this stuff and and that's that's what we kind of have in common i mean i i'm an entrepreneur i mean i i do graphic design for other small businesses to to get by i work at a restaurant for like three days a week uh to able so, so i can fund pay for my right. apartment pay for pay for this office because i mean country underdog we don't make anything really right. i mean if, if we are making making money it's through merchandise and uh artist page websites we just got all of our advertising up on on the blog and all that stuff so maybe we'll start to see some money from that but frankly i don't care it, it's a passion yeah. um all all of you artists are going through the same thing and it, it's that same mindset of there's no there's no limit to how big this can get you're your own boss um let's just put out stuff that we love and see how it does um i couldn't agree more man and i'm starting to realize more and more too like the podcasting like people who have the pages and the podcasts and like some country underdog basically your mm-hmm. whole uh system you're really not that different from an artist like from from being a, a singer songwriter artist you know you guys are just in the same realm like we're all just trying to release content we're all just trying to do something like you you succeeding benefits me and me succeeding benefits you it's like yes. this big yeah it's this whole thing I, I've I do said think, that to other artists, stuff like that. I have me, me help on you. You help me. Goes around. Yeah. The thing that I have the biggest problem with right now with the industry is how so many artists are like singled out. Like the only reason why the Highwaymen and Outlaw Country Music and all that stuff works so well is because they were all separate people, and they all came together and started their own genre together because they were ousted by everyone else. So like everyone sees all these individual artists make it that are independent and they think, Oh yeah, I should be an independent artist. So I'm singular. That is so wrong. We need to all come together, especially people who are independent. All the underdogs need to have their own thing and be in unison. Yeah, for sure. And with me, it's just like my number one fault is also my greatest like like thing so like i try and do too much sometimes right so so like like country underdog started out with like the first thing i did with country underdog like two years ago i created a chart and um like ranking like the the music that was out right now and then i was like you know i really don't want to do this i i don't think that uh, i should be ranking music Uh, i think it should just it should all be 
promoted. So I took that off after like two days and then started, started blog and merchandise. And then as it's gone on, I've created artist pages that people can, that artists can pay for, but I've also given a hundred away for free, stuff like that. And, um, podcasts and just all different kinds of things and doing creating all these different tree branches uh, without giving them enough attention so that they can grow so i've tried to trim some some branches branches the things that don't work um and and focus on what does work while still kind of trying to do it all because i i mean i'm one man i i do have a team behind me somewhat but they're all doing their own things and right. it's hard for me it's hard for me to, to delegate i'm trying to bring on interns right now around here but um it's just we are all are together i, I love what i've created i've noticed artists uh talking back and forth to each other in the comments and all that stuff i, I put on the country underdog award show um back in january and that's something that we're going to do every year. This one was virtual. Oh, next sweet. next year's next year's going to be in person. Um, Where is that going to be? It's going to, it's going to be in Texas. Um, it's going to be in yeah. Texas. But but we'll, I'm we'll coming invited or not. <laughs> you, you can you'll be there. You'll be there. Um, uh, just got to figure out if I'm going to do it inside or outside. Outside would be better because of COVID. But it is going to be January, so I don't know. But I I got a lot of people behind me it's just i uh i i I have too much to do you should see my to-do list it is crazy i would split up into all the different projects that i have with myself and um then my clients but dude i want to talk a little bit about your song dying breed breed i've i've that one doesn't get as much attention but i really gravitate gravitated to that and it inspired me in an interesting way I wanted to tell you about um, and kind of inform you about. Um, So for a long time, I've wanted to um, create just a merchandise brand um, separate from Country Underdog just to see how that goes. Um, And dying breed stood out to me and between your song and and cody hibbard has a song called dying breed i was like man what these what these two songs are talking about are are these people that have these jobs that are somewhat dying off in a way maybe maybe not uh the, the people that um people that you don't see a whole lot of anymore real good hardworking people and so I was like, yo, I want to, I want to start a, a merchandise company called Dying Breed Brand. You should. I would love that. I would buy all of it. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm all about it. So I, I have already started on it. Um, I, I, I think the, the logo, I'll try and show you the logo. Um, I'm still working on it. But uh, so if you have any ideas, like shoot them my way. I'll send yeah. you all that all that stuff. Um, like, I, I think it I think it really embodies a, a certain group of people, and I want to create like cool Western uh, merch, um, yeah. and stuff like that. So th- this this is like the the first take on on the okay, logo. Okay, yeah, I love it, dude. The spurs are awesome. So it's a D and a B. 
like boots. So I'm figuring it out. So, yeah. I think too, uh, you know, the other thing about that song is when I wrote it, I wrote it cause I really felt like sometimes I'm a dying breed. I'm a yep. very old fashioned dude. I'm an old soul. I just feel like, you know, sometimes I just feel like I'm alone, but then I really realized after writing that song and I play it now and you know, I'm not, it's just, you never see those people anymore in the spotlight and in all the stuff that we use now to socialize. Right. Like you don't see them very much on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, because they're not on Instagram or TikTok. <laughs> you, you might hear yeah. it in like music. You might hear, hear stories yeah. about them. Uh, but they're and, everywhere, man. But yeah, and they're great sure. people. You know, that's the thing. It's, it just reminds me so much of, um, just growing up it just reminds me of the people growing up you know just and it's you're 23 right yep yeah so we're like the last yes. generation before you know everything just kind of went crazy dude i was talking with some of my uh, my co-workers at the restaurant that i work with with to work at today and i, I grabbed some lunch or whatever and they I was like testing them on the movies that they know. Cause some of the girls that work there, they're like 2002, 2003. And it's like, they don't know like bench warmers. They don't know step brothers. They don't, they don't know the Titanic. They don't know. They haven't seen Forrest Gump. Like, yeah, like what the heck is going on? I was like, when did, when did y'all first get a phone? Or like, when did you first, first start using Snapchat? They're like, I think I was like 13. I was like, I think I got my first phone when I was 12. And it was one of those yeah. little slide, slide phones. Yeah, and, it was a total had, piece. I had a razor and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So these people, these kids nowadays have had like five extra years where they're just staring at social media than we had. So in that time we had to, to go out and play in the yard or right. uh, drink out of a garden hose for Christ's sake, drink out of a garden hose, uh, watch movies with the, out of a VCR, like stuff yep. like that. So like oh, we yeah. are, we are the last people that kind of see that, that kind of stuff. This, this younger generation, they're not going to go. They're more than likely not going to go work in the oil fields and, and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, there will be few, there will be people out there that grew up old fashioned and that's just, you know, that will never stop. That will be a thing. Right. S similar to the, the kids who grew up in like a military family, like right. they, they grew up and they go to the military. Right. But, but it, it is becoming, yeah. I mean, dying breed, even though there's a ton of people out there like that, there's probably more people now. It is kind of a dying breed. I mean, the song still holds, you know, solace and value and it still has a meaning, you know, holds truth. Well, well, most of the people I think who listen to country music and like your kind of country music and this, this red dirt and sound, uh, indie Americana, the people who listen to that stuff are dying breeds in a way. Right. And, so I mean, like that's why there's that there's that website called Saving Country Music and stuff like that. Like, country music in a way is a dying breed, and yeah, it, it has agree. been before. And we're just trying to push it out there. And but at the same time, the people who are going to listen to the stuff are more likely than not a dying breed. And it, and if your music reaches 
people who haven't really listened to country before or Americana, all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe it can turn them into a dying breed. Right. No, I agree. I mean, I think that's the whole point, right? Is what we look at this right now. And um, like I said, there's so many things that are spaced out and genre, like sub people to me, I think is very criminal in mm. a way. I, I mean, I understand why genres exist, but I had, I had this conversation a long time ago. I, yeah, I, or I like, listened to a podcast about it. People have that argument for like, there shouldn't be no genres or, or there, there should be no genres. And then there's like, well, if there were no genres, everything would start to kind of sound the same over time. Right. So I understand so, like, but the, the, I think the biggest part that to me doesn't work is that the artist is not allowed to genre him or herself. Really? If you look me up, I'm a folk artist. <laughs> and I don't agree with that at all. So it's, and I didn't put that in for my genres. So who genred me? I don't know, but it wasn't <laughs> me. And so like when you start subgenring people, like I had, I, I'd said one time that I was an outlaw musician or like an outlaw country singer. And they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, you think because my songs don't sound like Waylon and Willie that it makes me not outlaw? Like outlaw, first of all, just means outside of Nashville. That's the whole reason why it started. That's the one thing. Then it picked up a sound and now it has like every single songs in drop D and it's like, I don't know. That's just their thing. But that's not necessarily what that is. And so if you start subgenring people to where they just get combined, that's how you end up getting artists so individualized and like not unified. Because you could just throw, so I just made up my own genre. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but like if you go to my Instagram page, it says outlaw and mountain country music musician. So I just call myself a mountain country artist at this point because I'm so tired of everyone telling me what I sing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the types of in instruments that are in your songs and because well, yeah. you're enjoying it and it might, 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 might be more folk soundy, but like when it comes to what you're talking about versus what it sounds like, there's, there, you are right. There's, there, there's really no reason to, it, to sub genre people. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, I understand why you do it. Cause I totally like there's to me though, like everything is just like country is this very broad thing. And so it's, it's just like this country music thing that, and I don't understand. Um, I mean, obviously the artist can't just say that he's like, you know what I mean? Like it, you gotta be kind of true to what you're doing, but I do think that the artist should be allowed to say like, okay, yeah, I'm singing country music. Is that okay? Right. <laughs> like, and and, and even with, with me at Country Underdog, I mean, like, I'll, I'll post about guys like Pakes on the Rooftops and Austin Mead, the more rock-sounding guys. Right. But they embody that same mentality that it's country, country music, artists do. Man. And, and they're, and they're Texas-ish. That, that, that red dirt scene, they're yeah. independent. And they just they, they go town to town rocking it out uh just building a fan base and stuff like that similar to all a subgenre yeah. is is an adjective to describe what kind of music that you're playing 
it's so it's so it doesn't give you stuff that like you don't want to hear like if i'm listening yeah. to country i don't want to hear lil wayne come on there like <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it, it's just an adjective to let people know what you play mm-hmm. so like just and there has to be some but it just can't get so out of control now to where like well and i think the biggest it really started with like childers americana music was country music or folk music mm-hmm. forever and then tyler childers kind of came in and they wouldn't let him in really like into that nashville sound and whatever and when he went to the grammys he was listed as americana folk which yes I mean, now you'd say oh of course he's americana folk but back then he was country yeah you know, and now For Americana sure. folk is like its own thing, which is fine. But now we've just once again taken a whole group of musicians and put them on an island instead of just like allowing country music to just be a creative space. And this is kind of like what your country music is about with the institutionalized institutionalization of a creative space. Right. And so now that I think about it, like if I go onto Spotify and I click the Americana playlist and all that stuff. I don't hear or listen to many of those people. They don't, it doesn't sound super like the stuff that I promote, like, like you guys and all that stuff. It, it it is, it's its own thing. Now they're on an Island. And, (laughs) and I think that, I think that them now with just Americana being a thing, uh, they don't have a ton of people pushing them. Um, because they've been right. put into a different square. Which they're probably like, oh, great. Like now I'm, I mean, I just don't want to be genre. You know what I mean? I just, it's like, yeah. let me just be in the country space. That's what I want to do. It's like, it's all kind of its thing. And I, so, I mean, now I'm griping, but that's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of struck a chord, but you know, that's, if that's a that is one thing that I do have somewhat of a problem with in the industry. But then again, like, what are you gonna do? I don't even know how we got on that topic. <laughs> I guess we'll go back and have to look at the tape. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, shoot, we were talking about like dying breeds and like categorizing people. Um, let's see. Okay, nothing wants to work. But um, so what were, what's probably your favorite song that you've put out so far? Like your personal favorite? Yeah. Um, Dime Breed's up there. I love Dime Breed. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, Life of Rolling Stone, the song that I wrote, uh, title track off my first album. That tune to me is where everything started for me even though that song I think is underplayed to me, that song is where like, I just, I love that song. I love playing that song live. I love it. Um, so life of Rolling Stone, dying breed. If I were the devil, I think is like to me, if I were the devil, uh, lyrically is probably the best lyrical song I've ever written. I'd have to say, um, just personally and then i really love the song tip jar okay which is off of my if i were the devil album that i wrote yep. that song for myself it's super raw 
it uh that was like all my demons for a year i tried to write that song for a year and I, it, it wrote itself in like five minutes when i finally like got it to paper and i wrote it a week before we went down to record the album that's amazing because i mean th- there's people who have songs in, the, in their notes on their phone for years and it just clicks instantly that, that that's really that's really interesting what 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 clicked about that song to you i wrote the uh so i had i had the the melody line in my head forever the like because it's 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 a very complex chord progression mm-hmm. it's like one of the hardest songs i've ever written as far as like the chord progression uh, it's fairly complex for a country song i'd say um, but it's just that like late at night when I wander through my dreams. Like I had that part in my head constantly. And mm-hmm. I just didn't know what I wanted it to be about. And then I just went through like, you know, a very stressful year with music and like trying to rebuild. And um, that song just poured out of me uh, before we went to go record the album. And it was just one of those songs that I had to have one more song on the album. We had 17 songs that we were going to put on this album. Or that we could have put and you on cut this it album. down to ten. Yeah, and I added one before we went down there. Like I had seventeen <laughs> scratch tracks ready to go, and we we're gonna get down there, and then we were gonna produce ten of them. We were gonna do an A B side with this album. It was gonna be like, whatever. Um, but yeah, like I wrote Tip Jar. I took one song out, and then all the songs finally just fit. Like it just made sense. Those ten songs made sense, and we rolled them. So you. Sturgill is a massive influence to you and every one of his albums is like its own separate like work of art mm-hmm. and is that is that a similar um i guess perspective you want to take on your albums where each and every one of them is a little bit different in what it's trying to say or is it just a collection of songs that mean a lot to you uh, well, you know, for me, we're finally to the point now where I can start like doing some fun stuff like this honky tonk album that I'm writing. I'm super mm-hmm. excited for it because it's going to be a lot different than like what we normally put out. And a huge okay. reason why I'm doing it is because I want to, I want that little thing that says folk to change the country. That's a huge part. <laughs> and I just want to like stick it and be like, I'm a country artist. Listen to this shit. So that's a huge part why I'm doing it. But also I've always loved honky tonk music. Like if I listen to anything on a day to day, it's like honky tonk music and bluegrass. I listen to a ton of those two things, a ton. Mm. Um, And so, I mean, I was obviously super excited about Sturgill's bluegrass album when he released it, but the, the deal is with me now, it's like, okay, songs for me, you write the song and then the song is its own breathing thing. Once the song is written, you have to play it enough to where it kind of becomes whatever it needs to be because it's way different when I play it alone and I write it on an acoustic and I bring it to the band and we add, you know, then we get this awesome lead into it. And now we have the bass that's playing the rhythm section and we have the keys and the, and then I play a mandolin as well. We, once we get everything all figured out, we go, Holy shit, this is what the song needs to sound like. Now it's become its own song. And so I think to me, Albums themselves will always be different from the the thing previous that I put out or whatever I plan to put out next, because every album is just like its own little ecosystem of songs that have their own story to tell. 
and songs to me, I treat songs like, to me, I, I always say this, like, um, a song is not worth listening to if it doesn't have a soul. And that can be any genre. But if a song doesn't have a soul, I ain't going to listen to it. So if you give your songs a soul, they will make their own whatever. So I can't necessarily say like, I'm trying to make every single album different. Am I going to have some fun with some really cool projects in the future? Yes. I can promise you that if you like what we put out before, you're really going to like what we got to come, but everything will have its own soul and it will all be authentic and it will be exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. Sure. That, that, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, there's so many different moving parts when it comes to an album that it'd be impossible to keep it the same. Um, so everything does become a little different, but um I mean, so I, I know I know there are some people who look at an album, they come up with a name or, or the title track, and they want to write a story. Other other people, it's just a collection of really great songs that all have a soul. So yeah, I, it, I would it's love one main idea or a bunch of cool worlds. I would love to be able to write a consecutive story album, but. Um, it's that could be a really cool project that I would be super open to doing. I just haven't written that yet. Like I yeah. just, to me songs, I treat all my songs individually. And so, you know, to write like a consecutive thing would be hard for them not to sound the same because you're telling mm -hmm. the same story all like for 10 songs or whatever. But every, every album does have its own like, feel so like life of rolling stone is very like raw and acoustic so the songs that are in that are from like times of me trying to figure out who i am there's a lot of songs in there about uh breakups and a lot of songs about girls and a lot of songs about uh, trying to figure out my music career and songs um about my childhood and so on and then if i were the devil is a maturity album they were those songs all but one of those songs was written um, in the span between my first album and if I were the devil. And so those songs, like when I wrote every single one of those songs, what it did for me was I said, okay, this is, I was more mature. I had just gone through some tough shit. So I was on my way, you know, trying to claw my way out of a hole. So the song has maturity, it has depth. It has the similar raw emotion, but in a totally different place in life. So, I mean, they all have, maybe it's not consecutive story, you know, like they're all written consecutively as far as like me coming out of things <laughs> like deep up, deep up, you know, like it's just a constant trend. That's good. And, and I think that's something that people really enjoy to listen to. They, they enjoy the, the struggle and, and stories about overcoming. I mean, I think that's why um, Morgan Wade has become so popular right now. I mean, she I really her, like her. her Oh, me too. And, yeah. and this, I don't listen to a ton of female artists. I mean, right. I, I try to, I, I listen to, to new stuff when it, when it, when it comes out, put it on the playlist and all that stuff. But when it comes to listening to songs over and over and over again from, from a person, I, it's really just been her lately. Um, but like, she writes these songs about addiction and overcoming and these horrible experiences. 
And I think the big draw with her is we know that she's overcome them. It's right. it, it, we just get to like go back to a place where she didn't know that, that if she was going to overcome these things and listening to how she did it is I think the big draw when it comes to her. So, I agree. so that, that's what makes it, it really cool is that, so w- whenever you have an album and these songs um, and there's a focal story about it, um, it, 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 people really like to, enjoy overcoming things that's why people like the underdogs <laughs> yeah no i think dude i remember the first time you posted about us i was so excited because i've been following your page on instagram for quite some time and when you posted us i was actually sitting on my living room and i'm pretty sure you posted us as like, song, song of the week yeah, or song of the day week. yeah and uh i looked at my girlfriend and i said we just got posted by a country underdog I freaked out. It was great. So I really do appreciate it, man. It's kind of come full circle now, but uh, of course, yeah, I really appreciate it. I mean, there's way too many people to keep track of, and I and I really try to do it. I mean, I get a hundred emails a week asking for promotion. I don't read ninety five percent of them. Yeah, I mean, dude, there's a ton of stuff going on, and I get it. That's why I was so just like, because you know, I do reach out try to do it every day and stuff, but there was like a few left on the checkbox where I was like, okay, you know, and you were one of them. I was like, oh, we still haven't gotten posted yet by them. But I was like, oh, hopefully it'll come around. No DM, no nothing, just a tag. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, that's, that's kind of my, my strategy. I do things for people um, most of the time that, that don't ask for it. And I don't ask anything of, of people, in return i don't ask people to do things for me typically um and, and i think pe- people get that in a way so whenever i i have reached out to people they they respond so like that like with our country underdog award show i reached out to aaron watson seeing if he wanted to uh submit a song uh for as like the headliner and to be played at the end of the award show and he was like heck yeah man and i was oh, like so sick I was like, <laughs> I, I, I was like, I was like, what the fuck? It worked. <laughs> and yeah, uh, no, it's it's crazy. Uh, sometimes like the reach out when it when it really hits home, and like you know, because I do when I try to do my reach out, especially like earlier on, you know, I was reaching out, spend thirty minutes a day, just straight up DMing, reaching out, like just the most honest message I could possibly imagine to people about my story and stuff. And I do I do one or two like home run dms is what i call them a day okay just like there's no chance that this guy's gonna or this gal or this guy or this page there's no way in hell that they're gonna dm me back but it's worth taking the minute and a half to write them both i do two of those a day and when you get one of those to write you back you're just like oh that worked my first one yeah my first one and this is now like but my first one was uh i i started with nothing like we had no promotion this is when i started trying to promote the second album um i'd reached out to like a couple smaller pages and then the one i reached out to was ranch jams i don't know if you know ranch jams or not yeah yeah so he got back to me put me on the playlist and that's where i was like oh my god this is like totally worth it like why why not do this mm-hmm. and then you go from there obviously but 
Oh yeah, for sure. And um, I mean, shoot with us, apparently, uh, well, one, one of my buddies who helps us out, he was backstage at an Austin Mead concert in Corpus. He knows Austin a little bit. And uh, he was backstage with him and Austin was like, yo, you're doing, y- y'all are doing a podcast now, aren't y'all? He was like, yeah. And he was like, yo, let me be on that. I'll, I'll fly, I'll fly, contact my manager and uh, we'll fly, fly y'all down to San Antonio here in a couple of weeks and we'll get you on a podcast with Co Wetzel. And I was like, I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so we'll see if that happens. But uh, I, I like that home run idea thing. I mean, I think that's something that, that I should start doing too, reaching out to Well, these it's worth it. Like if you do reach out, like might as well, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Easy. Um, but th- that's really cool. I like that. I like that. But uh, no, Instagram's weird, man. I mean, we have 3,000-something followers on Instagram. We got 55,000 on TikTok. Um, I don't know how many we have on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, right? I, yeah on Facebook, Facebook. It's, hard to follow. It's, it's just automatically like linked into Facebook. Um, right. For, for the older people who follow stuff, and then there, there's TikTok. I mean, ten, not Tinder. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. We got a, we got a country underdog Tinder. We, 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 I, I create pages. Yeah. I, I, I create pages for all of y'all, and <laughs> people swipe right or left on y'all. <laughs> Whoever gets the most swipes wins the award show in January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> Shoot, I, I'll just I'll just make an app for that. Like you, you go and swipe. Yeah. But uh, no, I was talking about Twitter. I got I have a buddy. One of the things that I have delegated is our Twitter, and he's funny as hell. He posts on Twitter all the time. But we have like three hundred on Twitter. Twitter. Twitter and Instagram, their engagements are so far down from what they once were. Like Instagram, right. is, Instagram is like 1.4% of uh, the en- engagement that it once had at its peak. So like if you have a couple thousand followers and you're only getting 200 likes um, on, on posts, I mean, it's not necessarily your fault. Um, no. yeah. Whereas TikTok, you can have no followers and post your first video could be seen by millions of people. Um, yeah. I think this is another thing. If you want to hear me gripe again, I have a gripe. Come on. <laughs> okay. So my thing about it is I'm also really tired of people t- like bitching about how they only have like, Oh man, like I only have, I only got like 300 views on this video. And I'm like, yeah. have you ever played in front of 300 people? Have you ever had 300 people watch you play a guitar and sing? Because that's pretty cool. And like, I guess in, and it's all relative and I understand that. That's Everyone true. wants to hit the millions and that's cool. And I understand that that's a goal. But if there's something that you don't like, you know, you need to get to that million. You're going to have to get 300 views a lot of times, you know, before you finally figure out what's going to get you to that million views. But also look at it this way. As an artist, if you post one video a day and you get 300 views, and you start doing some math, that ain't all that bad. Right. It's not bad at all. And I think it, I think it all comes back to um, we are trained for in, instant grat- gratification now. Like, right. it's like, oh, I'll be happy once I get a thousand followers. Oh, I'll be happy once I get 10,000 followers. And once you reach these milestones, you're you're never happy you always want more right 
And so looking at it the way that you just, you just said, I mean, is, is really an interesting perspective that a lot of people don't think about. The other, um, and I think that comes from now we can access data on a, on per second, how many people are watching something per second or whatever, which is really not healthy for your psyche. If you're trying to do something like that, you need to look at it monthly, if not six months, if not to a year, because that's when you can really see trend lines. And like, uh, I've learned a ton about that just from like my team telling me to calm down. Cause I sometimes, you know, can be like, Oh, why is this that? Uh, but they're like, we don't even have enough data yet to really understand what's going on. So like it don't watch, you know, don't watch it like a hawk, just post it and see if it goes well, if it goes well, then, you know, ride the gravy train and have a good time and watch the numbers in a six month to a year basis. And that way, I think that's a good way to, you know, hold down that, uh, instant gratification. True. And then there's, there's the other thing is we see other people having success and, and, and doing all these cool things on social media and there's that, that little bit of a jealousy factor. And, um, but when it comes to that, people are really only posting like their highlight reel. So right. like, so what's actually happening isn't the, the full story. Um, so yeah. like, oh, perceived they, reality. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I follow this hot girl on, on uh, Instagram and she's doing all these things. She has millions of followers and she's getting all these likes and all that stuff. But how much of that is real and how much of that actually turns into money um, yeah. versus, and, versus yeah, the pages money. with less followers that have a real product um, can pages, pages with less followers and a real, real product can make more money and get more engagement than uh, just I don't know. You, you no, I agree. <laughs> I think, so what I comes down to me, I don't look at follower numbers. I don't look at like anything to be anything more than like a credit score. Mm-hmm. Like the more followers you have, the more credible you are if you're trying to pitch yourself to other people. But what matters to me, so that's like on the business end, numbers matter on analytics. To me, what matters is fans. How many real, how many people would buy a ticket to go see me? That's what matters to me. How many people are blasting my song to go to prom? How many people are going to make a memory with one of my songs? And how many like lifelong fans have I made by the end of the year? And how many do I want to have by this time? Real people matter to me a lot more than numbers because the numbers only matter to a couple people in this world, but the real people that are listening to my songs matter to me. So like, that's my perspective on it, I guess, as far as when it comes down to how I want to build my business. Dying breed, man. Exactly. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> well, um, we're running out of time again. I like how we were talking about only doing this for like 30 minutes. Uh, it's, turned, it's, it's turned into an hour. Uh, so um, <laughs> well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll end it here. Thanks for coming on, Colby. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Hopefully we get to do this in person, man. Um, You keep doing what you're doing, being yourself, staying authentic and uh, hit me up anytime. Yeah, no, dude. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Peace, Colby. See you later. See you.